welcome to Kid Tech, the podcast that goes behind the scenes uh, with some of the most important people and influencers in the kids' digital media sector. Today is an absolute pleasure for me. Um, we've got Dean Weller, who's CEO and owner of Generation Media on the show. Dean, I have known since we started Super Awesome. Uh, he's been an amazing friend and a partner um, for, for, for more years than probably either of us can count at this point. Um, Dean, so nice to have you on the show. Welcome. Oh, it's a real pleasure. And thank you for that great introduction. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure knowing you since, well, when did we meet in fact? It must have been around about 2003, four, five, that kind of area. I think, I think it was probably a bit later than that, wasn't it? But it was certainly, I mean, it's, it's, it's going on 10 years. It must be at least, yeah. yeah. At, at, at this stage. Um, our Dean, our listenership is, is sort of across the world and and, and US and, and Europe and, and 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 really sort of all around. Could you explain Generation Media? What what do you do? Yes, Generation Media is a um, is a specialist marketing business um, targeting children, young people, and families. Our specific um, remit is media placement buying. Um, strategy development, content work with clients in that space. Um, the company is is unique in the sense that we operate globally. Um, we are the largest in Europe in what we do. We're very proud of that fact. Um, company, goodness me, is looking at the time you talking about when we first met. Reminds me of when we started. We must have started 15 years ago now. Um, but in this format, we are 13 years old, actually this month as a company. Um, we are really proud of our position. There are not many companies that put children and young people at the forefront of their, um, of their business, and children very much are the driving force behind what we do. We're, we're a company that invests heavily into insight and understanding of what children are up to. Um, how they feel emotionally and how they behave practically. Um, and we also try and understand what their parents are up to in terms of stewarding their children. And um, one of the key things, we, and I'm sure you, you had this question as well when you talk to your colleagues, is what defines a child nowadays? And it's more of a mindset than an age. Mm. It's a nine-year-old child, let's say, in, in the UK. It's very different from a nine-year-old child in the US and in Germany. Mm. But we'll come on to that probably later on, I suspect. Uh, mm. And when you were setting up Generation Dean, I mean, it strikes me as being, like with the focus that you have, extremely forward-looking. Like, how, how did, how did your, your peers in the industry, like, think about this when, when you originally set the company up? Well, I'd always worked on children's advertising through my career. I, I started off working in a full service agency and I'd always worked on children's brands. And what struck me back in the, uh, back in the eighties was just how little interest there was in that space. Um, and, and the interest in toys in particular, um, toys were seen by agencies uh, and some now see this sector the same way as a problem area. It's too complicated, too fussy, clients never happy, you know, who understood what's a kid anyway, how much value are they to the, um, to the um, economy? Um, 
it's a fashion mode kind of short-term business don't make any money so all those things struck a chord with me because I knew all those things were wrong so when I got to the position where I wanted to start a business it was a slam dunk no-brainer to be involved in the kids space because I knew that what I could bring was something unique different and would stand out and be useful for the market and so it has proved I mean we are I said I'm going to blow our own trumpet here and but you'll back me up no doubt is that we are probably the best in what we do mm. uh, and I think companies like you are very very important to what we do because there are very few media supplier partners who understand the kids in the same way and to the same depth that super awesome does mm. so you know we applaud your efforts Dylan particularly as, as the boss in what you've done to uh, push forward children's marketing in the last 10 years um that's very kind of you to say i mean you know when you mentioned the, the the sort of the last decade or so i mean you've been on at the very cold face of so much change in the kids media sector i mean can you can, can you compare and contrast today with with, with sort of 10 years ago yeah like, I was, some, some of the changes yeah i mean the changes are um I'm going to be quite controversial. I, I, I don't think the children's space is more complicated than it was back in the day. Hmm. But the perspective I'll take, though, is not one of, yes, there are more media out there today, digital in particular, with more complicated ways of measuring children. But back in the day, of course, we didn't have the internet to help us do our job. So when we were buying airtime on one of the 13 channels on ITV, because there were 13 individual regional channels, it was all done manually. You know, all of the matching up of the spots was done by looking in these horrible books called green and orange. So green and pink and blue books where you had to find your spots and your heart would beat double when you found that your spot that you'd bought individually on Granada television only done seven ratings and it should have bought done 17 ratings so it's a bit like doing the pools or a lottery <laughs> you know you, you know you the time it took dylan to, to book airtime back in the day and the complexity of doing it the analog way was so complicated so although to answer your question yesterday the media scene is much more diverse and more difficult in terms of terrain to um, to climb over, so to speak. Back in the day, it was tougher because of the tools we had. It was like going from Flint to having a Black & Decker drill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious about that. So I would say from my perspective, being an older guy, mm. that um, it's, it's equally complicated, but for different reasons. <laughs> it's a very um a very useful way of describing it back then because I, I think i guess often when you and i probably talk to to cmos and, and marketing folks you hear a lot of people complaining about you know the huge digital fragmentation that's there but i suppose you're right like people aren't quite appreciating the level of automation and tooling and everything else that also goes hand in hand with it um do, do you feel that clients are, I suppose, qualitatively more sophisticated in their marketing now versus maybe 10 years ago? 
Is, is, is that something you see as well? I guess that's yeah, a dangerous question sure. to ask. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's for sure. I think clients, um, particularly the clients who have grown up through the digital, the millennial mm. plus mm. clients, I call them. I mean, they're living in the space that we're trading in. Whereas, let's say, some of the more mature clients, you know, the internet um, is a new vehicle. It's one which has lots of complexity, uh, has nuances that weren't there, you know, 20 years ago. So I think most modern clients in a modern marketing department in our space are fully aware, really, of the challenges and better understand when we present to them you know, some of the... Um, well, some of the jargon, let's say jargon, there's a lot of jargon in media, we know that. Mm. The jargon is, is more understood than it used to be. Mm. And also I think clients appreciate more the fact that they, they, need, they need to educate themselves in this space. So mm. we had a program, or we still have a program in fact, where clients are, um, are invited to, to take part in an overall induction process to better understand the online space. So when we show them results, we show them how Super Awesome is doing in terms of its audience, they understand better what the numbers really, really mean. So clients, I think, have got better. Absolutely. Right. No question. And you, um, you operate globally. You operate a lot in Europe as well as the UK. Um, yeah. Do you see any, any divergence or convergence in, in geographic trends, in local trends? So anything to, to, to mention there? Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, I've been lucky enough to work on a number of global accounts in the last 25 years and in the kids space in particular. I, I did four and a half years working on Mattel and two years working on Hasbro with a year working on Lego. And you, when you do your grand tour of Europe and you do meet your colleagues and you do talk to children in these markets, there is a a difference even if it is um subtle there are differences in the way children um are children you know the family unit are, it's a different you know a spanish family unit is different from a german family unit, different from a uk different from a u.s family unit from an australian family unit and that that dictates really everything in terms of the exposure to the internet what they're allowed and not allowed to do how free they are in terms of use of their mobile phones, um, what they're into. I mean, it's insane how different the, the construction market is in Germany versus the UK. Lego is incredibly important to the UK. But in Germany, oh my God, you know, building products for kids uh, dominate the market. Puzzles and, puzzles and building product in Germany are very different in terms of their sales profile hmm. those in the UK and anywhere else in the world for that matter. Um, and also... The influence of our language, English language, I think, has, has matured children faster in, in those markets where English is spoken as a first language or a strong second language. So the Nordic markets, for example, are very close to our market because of the influence of American TV, in particular during the, during the 90s and the early 20s. So I always look at Germany as a case in point because, you know, German boys seem to even now this is sped up a bit by the way because of covid because of there is a convergence i love the word code convergence you use because because of where we're all at in the world globally the online space has accelerated in terms of its importance 
So there's a catch up as well in these markets. So Germany and Spain and France and Italy, you know, and Poland, the other key European and Australia even mm. have all caught up really in terms of how children are using the internet because they have to, because what else are they going to do? Right. Um, so that's been the biggest change. Um, but even with that, there are obviously, because of the, the way children are brought up differently in different markets, differences in the way children behave and react to media and what they're into. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you, you mentioned COVID there, like, and, and, you know, different countries are emerging in, in different ways, I suppose, fast and slow. When you think about the toy sector for the second half of this year, what are you what are you expecting to happen like what i mean what's what's the performance going to be like i mean i guess cuz you know certainly i've heard like multiple things depending on 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 which customer you're talking to yeah i think from my perspective and the the company's view on the next let's say 24 months is we are going to see um a recovery in our space, both advertising and in particular the toy space. In fact, if you look at toy sales across the COVID period, generally toys were, were resilient um, as a marketplace for sales compared to, let's say, some of the areas of hospitality and entertainment which suffered dreadfully. Toys did very well. Uh, uh, so we believe that toy sales will be up year on year not a big thing to say that sounds obvious with covid but i think over 24 months it will be up considerably and there's a great hunger for toys and some toys in particular mm. uh, across 24 month period i mean look at look at one sector of the toy space you know not really a toy but it's in the video game market you can't get a ps5 or an xbox series x for love nor money mm. i mean they could have sold 10 times the amount of playstations in that space and look at one sector board games and puzzles um, companies have sold out of some lines mm. because of the way children are having to stay indoors and, and the way that their their life their daily life is just changed mm. so a positive outlook on toys this year and next year we think at least 20 percent, i suspect over three years hmm. well wow. and what about toy retail because i mean to your point you know COVID has accelerated you know so much acceptance of e-commerce um and and you know particularly in toy purchasing i mean i think i saw a stat around about 50 percent of toy purchasing in the us now being e-commerce do you, do you think how do you think that looks over the same period of time what you know what's the outlook for for physical retailers um i think the outlook for physical retailers is quite tough mm. um i think um people have got very used to buying through online um amazon in particular as we both know has done extraordinarily well in every sector they trades in toys are no exception amazon was always very strong as a, an e-tailer for toys even before covid and i think that it's tightened its grip really on the market i mean we we think the work that smiths are doing you know in germany in the uk and ireland is amazing i mean they are the vanguard for, for bricks and mortar sales the entertainer are, are still hanging in there, of course. Uh, Toy Master still doing good work, but it's 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 a pressure because, as we all know, we're not going shopping. I mean, I saw a stat yesterday; the figures are still thirty percent down in the UK mm. in terms of high street sales. 
Mm. So it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long-term recovery in that market. But I think what Smiths have done well um, is they've made going to buy a toy an experience. Mm. And I think that's what retailers need is to make um, their shop magical. So you go into a toy shop and you know, there's a wow factor and that's what you can bring um, versus Amazon where obviously you know what you're buying, you're looking for a good price, quick delivery and off you go. So I think there's responsibility on toy, toy bricks and mortar retailers to, to do more under what are very difficult circumstances, of course, mm. when their sales have been shot to pieces because no one can go to the stores. So it ought to be too tough on you know, bricks. But um, I think Smith's have struck the right balance, right? You know, when you go to a Smith's store, it is a toy superstore. Yeah, 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 yeah. So almost sort of borrowing more from, from theme parks and attractions and adding purchases. In well, there I, think, to... I think that's the way that, S- that Smith's have been set up. I mean, Smith's is always the alternative store to Toys R Us. Right. And in fact, as you, as we all know, you know Smith's took over most of TRU's um, assets in, in Germany. Um, so they've replaced TRU as the, the larger kind of warehousey, large toys store. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they do an amazing job and they're still independent. Um, so they're, they've got the destiny in their own, in their own hands. Mm. Um, let's shift gears a little bit to um, agency world. <laughs> um, I mean, to some degree, I suppose, and you, you might totally disagree with this statement, you know, you, you generation competes with the large agency holcos out there. But the large agency holcos in general, I would say, have, have, have really sort of struggled with the kids and family space. Um, like, do, do you think they're getting better at it? Or do you think that their sort of general approach will always mean that they're never going to be experts at it? Well, I'm going to be obviously biased in my <laughs> commentary on a big agency because um, I passionately believe they cannot compete with specialist businesses in any sector, let alone toys. And not because they're not good enough, it's because they can't give it the resource um, and they can't give it the passion and care and attention and detail these clients really believe. I always use the um, analogy if you've got a BMW sports car, you take it to a BMW sports car specialist to have it serviced. You don't go into a Ford dealership, although Ford's a great tour, of course, because you're not going to get the same service. They don't understand the car as well. You're not going to get the same parts. And that's how I perceive holding companies, particularly the, the larger ones, not because they're doing a bad job, because they're not. They're doing an amazing job, these big agencies. But they just can't, in our space, or some of the very vertical spaces that need the care and attention, give it the care and attention, because they can't afford to, because their margins are obviously very much under pressure. Mm. Um, and that's what I found in my experience working at three of these large agencies, is that you know, I did my level best within them to, to, to get the resource I needed to do my job properly, but I could never get the, 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 um, the, the resource and the, the assets behind me because we couldn't afford to, because we would lose money. Mm. Now, when you have your independent business and you're a specialist, your whole business is geared up to the market you're servicing. So, you know, we're very passionate about what we do and we put a lot of effort and energy into the small detail that sets us aside from the kind of big super tanker ships out there. 
yeah. that have their place, but not in our space because they, they cannot afford to give it the attention that they, these clients you know, really deserve. And do you think the future of the agency world is fundamentally more specialist agencies? Do you think that's how it plays out over the next five, 10 years? It's a good question. I, I don't know. I think um, the thing about being a big agency is being big. Mm. Uh, and big and specialism don't go together. Um, I mean, we are a large specialist business. And we're turning over now upwards of 50 million pounds in the uk and more globally um and we're big but we obviously we're not half a billion mm. um so i think the future for these companies is is basically to continue to drive volume um to try and put themselves out there as you know large vessels to do large deals on large platforms across large markets um work to their strength being in our space i don't think works to their strength i mean we're like a speedboat and they're like a, sometimes like you can consider them as an oil tanker you know our turning circle is very very tight whereas theirs might be 10 miles you know so mm. it's a good question though um but i mean there's a place for all agencies in the market yeah and what about like you know shifting the focus then to clients i mean when you're talking to um to your clients or daily or weekly I mean, it's, it's been such a strange, weird 18 months. I mean, what are some of the challenges that, you know, toy companies are facing right now? And, and are there any that, that, are, that would only be evident to someone like you who's been in the industry long enough to get it? I'm, I'm always interested in like the secrets of an industry, you know? Well, the biggest secret in the industry is hard work. Hmm. Um, and obviously I use that phrase, the harder the, you, know, you work, the luckier you're going to be. Um, and I think hard work has, is the key ingredient over the last 24 months. Those, those companies and clients in particular that have come through COVID are those that have really worked hard uh, at the coalface, you know, looking after their staff, their business, their, their supplier partners, the industry generally, the toy charities that have done very, very well. Um, so that's the key ingredient is, is, is working hard, keep doing the numbers, keep doing the research, keep trying to be the best of what you do. You know, have your own research that brings insight and shines light on a very dark corner of a business where there's no hardly any research. You know, Dylan, in our space, children's space, there's hardly any children's research. So we do a lot of children's research through our sister company, Giraffe. Um, the key challenges that toy companies, I think, have faced really is probably areas of, not necessarily media, but probably of trying to be as green as possible, you know, looking at their packaging. How do they cut the plastic out of their packaging and, the, and their products? Very difficult in toy space, obviously. And the cost of transporting from, from Far East markets. I mean, cost of, cost of petrol and diesel has rocketed in terms of... Um, you know, using these huge containers to get from one place to another and the impact on the environment. So they're all, Toycoms are very, very, very different in terms of their understanding of what the impact on the environment is versus what it was 25 years ago. So I think they're the key challenges is other, and also you mentioned earlier, retail, e-tail, you know, getting the right balance of getting your product into the hands of the consumer. What's the best way, what's the most effective way? What's the best way for the consumer while also obviously making money at the same time? 
Mm. Yeah, it's a it's it's a very very interesting moment. I, I always imagine you sort of essentially being, you know, like the industry therapist um, <laughs> to all of to, to all of the toy companies coming who come to you with their 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 various problems and challenges. Well, I, I love speaking to people in the toy industry. Always have done. Mm. Because I find that they treat their agencies more as partners mm. rather than some of the other, let's say, um, uh, larger businesses where you're just seen as um, a supplier rather yeah. than a business partner. I feel when I talk to our clients, and I'm lucky enough to speak to them, that I see them as our business friends, our business partners, and we want to do everything we possibly can. Mm. Sounds like agency bullshit, but it's not to, to make sure their business does well. Yeah. And our people are trained the same way. Yeah. Um, if you were starting Generation Media today, Dean, in 2021, what would you do differently? I'm going to say what you would say. I'd start it earlier. <laughs> Can you expand on that statement? Yeah, because I, I, got into this business in terms of being, a, you know, an owner of an agency in the kids space because, you know, I left a job and had six months off to think about it. I wish I'd have been doing this job, you know, when I was in my mid thirties, because mm. it's been so interesting, so exciting. And I met so many, so many great people. I wish I'd done it earlier. Mm. Uh, I'm sure many entrepreneurs say the same thing is that great what you're doing, but I wish I'd discovered this earlier but then maybe it would have done it at all if i you know left mediacom um so no do it earlier so that's something i would change is i would change nothing else they've got great people working for me got some superb senior directors working with me um we're doing a lot of great things in the market for some super supplier partners which i count you as one wouldn't change anything at all apart from <laughs> getting in getting into the space a bit earlier <laughs> Go, go back in time, yes. Go back still, in time, yeah. Still waiting on Tesla to build us a time machine, I think. <laughs> I'm sure he's working on it. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Um, the, the the space that we operate in is 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 unique in terms of its its regulatory aspects. Um, you know, regulations and laws around content and and, pri and digital privacy. Um, you know, and, and toy companies have, have definitely been on a journey in terms of their sort of understanding of that. I mean, how do you feel they all rank today in terms of, of their kind of embrace of compliance around the world and in all the forms that, that exists? Are they, and again, it must be very different from 10 years ago when there were just less laws. Well, they're, they're, I mean, they're, there's always been laws, against, you know, not against um, helping children um, better understand what they're seeing on TV or online. Um, the, you know, we're part of the Media Smart, as are you, I believe still, uh, organized, you know, AA are producing um, in reports on how children, you know, need to be protected in all spaces, let alone your space and, my, and the TV space. Um, but I think clients are very well at their responsibility. And I think they would like to know more about when we put in the UCs of UK and Ireland in particular, I'm talking about now, because other markets are different. And I'll come on to that in a second. I think, you know, the, the, the US driving this, obviously you've been very involved personally in this as well. I've seen you know, two or three of your own, you know, um, presentations on this internationally. Um, I'm very much aware of, of, of what COPPER stands for, what it, you know, what 
what the ideals are within that, what the ethics are within that, and they want to do the best they can, so they don't overstep any any, any rules and um, cause issues within families. Um, it is difficult. The, the other side of the, of the coin, of course, is someone like me uh, planning and buying and researching individual in the kids' space. The um, I have to say, obviously, the more rules there are protecting children, which are there for a reason, and we applaud them, stop us understanding which target markets are seeing which ads. Obviously, the, the focus on you know cookie removal and cookie changes has dramatically um, made our job more difficult, which is why we heavily invested, as you know, into our, our CATS research with our giraffe company, uh, which we're taking globally to better understand individually in our own company for our clients what's really going on so there is a double-edged sword here you know we, we we applaud the work that's being done to protect children and there's a lot of great work being done by media owners too but it does take away our ability as planner buyers to actually talk to children with the right right messaging that's, that's appropriate for them at the right age because we can't measure it mm -hmm. in the way we'd like to um clients have clients come back to your original point want to do the right thing want to know more about what copper stands for, want to do more in terms of making sure that what they do is legal, decent, honest, and truthful. Um, but there's more to be done. And other, other countries are so are, are behind right. this. Um, I mean, again, the English-speaking countries are ahead of every other country in terms of you know, their, their desire and putting codes in to protect children. Mm. So from a, from a, I suppose from an answer that was about, you know, rules and definition, I'm going to finish up with a question, which is really the opposite of that, which is, which is future crystal ball gazing, Dean. Yeah. Um, what are your industry predictions for next year, for 2022? What do you think is going to happen? That is a huge question. And I can only answer it, as you sent me to, from a children's marketing and young people's marketing and family marketing perspective. Mm. Mm. So the overarching answer is we are going to see a recovery in terms of revenue within the space to advertising and marketing and content. No question. How much that will be? Don't know. Probably double digit year-on-year -year increases in marketing spend in the toys and games space globally, I would suspect. Um, so that's the overarching feeling that, that, that we have. The, the key media consumption, I hate using consumption because you experience media, is that the continual development of audiences within the online space. Uh, already half of all money in the kids' space is being spent on online advertising. I mean, on paper, you look at all the, the Nielsen data, it's about 30%, but we reckon it's half now. Mm. So that will continue. I mean, look, TV audiences for children are in the UK significantly down over the COVID period, double digits. Will that recover? I sincerely doubt it. I think it will, if there's a recovery, maybe single digit incline. But you know, the, the online genie has been out of the bag for some while. Better understanding that is imperative. 
is cutting deeper and younger as the years go on. TV's sweet spot, as it will be for the next two to five years, is the, is the three to seven-year-old. You know, that is where linear TV absolutely has magic. When you get from seven to 11, then you have this crossover point where online and the mobile phone in particular and the iPad kind of devices are so important to children. Um, so growth in audience, I think, to media, the importance of content. I mean, if you've got content as a client, you need to develop it, manage it, get it in the channel, talk to people like you in terms of how to use it. But growth, I think growth is the, is the underlying statement um, for the market. Well, that very optimistic note, uh, Dean Weller, CEO of Generation Media, thank you very much for joining us on Kid Tech today. Big pleasure. Thanks, Dylan.